Hey friends, it's the week after Easter. Uh, Jason here. Uh, we're still not gathering in person because we're trying to do our part to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And uh, while I'm glad that we're, that we're doing the right thing, it's also really hard that we're not together. And uh, so I'll say again this week, like we've said several weeks now, um, we love you. Uh, we miss you. Uh, we know that this is hard in lots of different ways for different people. And we are holding space for one another in our hearts and praying for each other. Um, and uh, the fact that we don't get to be together means that there's other things that we got to cover, like through the podcast that we would hang uh, hanging out in person. And so today I want to tell you a little bit about our annual report. Yeah, <laughs> I know if you hear that, you may not be super stoked. Uh, but but let me try to make my case. OK, so uh, for the first time ever, we've created an annual report. It's on 2019. And it's meant to tell the story of South Bend City Church uh, in the past year. And we, we've done this for a couple of reasons. Uh, the, the first big one is gratitude. And that gratitude goes in a couple of directions. It's gratitude to God because uh, we feel a deep awareness that what we are a part of is bigger than us. And it, it wouldn't happen if it were just on us. And yet throughout the year of 2019, we saw uh, all these graces, all these gifts that emerged in our midst. And we didn't want to just race through the year and move on to the next one without doing something to tell the story and remind ourselves uh, to say thanks to God for the good that has emerged in our midst. So it's gratitude to God and it's gratitude to a bunch of you, to a bunch of people, uh, because God seems to have this insistence on working with and through people. And so the fact is that 2019, that story could not have been written without just a, a ton of people who brought their heart and their spirit and their energy and they volunteered and they gave money. And, um, and that's how this story happened. And so uh, I really hope that you'll take a minute. Uh, it's a beautiful report. It's been designed, um, really fantastically. And it's a, it's just a great way to kind of reflect on, on what 2019 was for our community. Uh, as you do that, I hope that you will find a way to say thanks to God. Uh, I hope that you'll be grateful for the people who make this possible and if you're one of those people, I hope you will know how grateful we are for you. Uh, so gratitude is one of the reasons we did that. But the other reason is transparency, because we think that's really important too. And so if you flip through that report, you'll see stories from our life together and uh, some images from our life together. And then you'll see some numbers from our life together as well. Things like attendance and volunteerism and financials. Uh, when you look at the financials, you might notice that in 2019, uh, our budget was one number and the giving was another and the giving was lower than the budget uh, by a fair amount. Um, so it's good to just acknowledge that. Um, now I can tell you that, that we make adjustments as we go. Um, and so like we're in a good place right now. Uh, that original budget number came from previous giving in the year before that. Um, however, um, I, th I think one of the things going on there is that early in our life, there was some outside support that people were giving uh, who were just trying to help us sort of get on our feet. And so now that we're on our feet, um, some of that money is not being provided. Um, but yeah, so our giving has declined actually, even though our church has grown and you'll see that reflected in those numbers. Uh, but I can also tell you uh, that we have like made adjustments and we'll keep doing that. And um, as of today, like we're in a, a really healthy an appropriate fiscal position, if I can use those words. Um, and of course, at the same time, we're monitoring COVID-19 uh, stuff for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first big reason is that a bunch of people in our church are facing hardship and economic insecurity. And we want to keep a close eye on that and do whatever we can. 
Um, and by the way, if you want to help us do that, you can give to our care fund. If you go online to give and you select the care fund, the money that you give there will be money that we use to take care of people uh, who are part of South Bend City Church, whether it's now during this crisis or for other needs that pop up. Uh, but then you can also, like, if you're a person who's who's not uh, economically affected right now and you want to help the church financially to make sure that, that we are able to keep doing what we do, uh, you can always give to the general fund. And that's an option there online as well. Um, anyway, that's the annual report. If you have any questions about uh, the financials or any other part of that story, uh, the best thing you can do is you could email our executive pastor, Matt Grable. Uh, you can email him at matt at southbendcitychurch.com. Uh, and then um, he's happy to connect with you. I'm happy to connect with you. Um, but really, please don't hesitate to talk to us about questions revolving around the annual report or anything else right now, to be honest. Uh, we're disconnected physically right now, but it doesn't mean that we have to be disconnected in spirit. Uh, so please feel free to reach out. All right, that's the annual report. Now, let me tell you, I'm so excited about uh, the teaching this week and the series that we're jumping into. So this is the week after Easter, and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, means a lot of things. But one of the things that it means is is it sort of vindicates or corroborates um, who he is and, and what he said and did, right? So like if this is the man who went through death and came out on the other side, then that, that seems to suggest that like we can trust him for everything else that he was leading us into. And so we've asked uh, a number of different teachers from our community to each take a week coming up here and just take us into a, a theme or a moment with Jesus in the Gospels and help us to find ourselves in that story and help us to consider like like how, how we would follow Jesus in that moment, in that story uh, today in the year 2020 in the lives that we are living right now. And so uh, today, uh, our first teacher is Beth Grable. Uh, Beth has taught in our gatherings before. Uh, you've heard her teach. You might have heard her uh, host a panel. Uh, but Beth uh, works in creative and leadership development and consulting. That's kind of her day job. Uh, but she's also just a, a really um, fantastic teaching voice for our community. And she's going to talk to us today uh, about a moment uh, with Jesus after his resurrection, uh, especially majoring on some stuff in Luke chapter 24. Uh, toward the end of this teaching, a couple of things that you'll want to pay attention to. One is uh, there's a, a sort of guided prayer or reflection. And man, I would, I would very much encourage you, like take advantage of that. Uh, let it carve out some sacred space for you, especially with everything going on right now. I think you'll be glad that you did. And then at the very end, you'll hear a couple of questions that Beth has for the open floor. And so if you're listening to this in the first few days that it's released, uh, we would love to hear back from you. So process those questions. They're also noted in the episode notes and then call the phone number in the episode notes uh, in the next few days and leave a voicemail. And then on Thursday, we're going to release our next open floor episode with your voices featured. Um, there's a bunch of you out there. I know you are thinking you might do it. You got to do it. It does so much. Uh, and I mean this, I've been hearing from people in our church. It does so much just to hear from the other voices in our community. Uh, so please consider doing that. Uh, that being said, I can't wait for you to hear this, to learn from this. Uh, here's Beth Grable. Hey, South Bend City Church, this is Beth Grable, and this is the Sunday after Easter. This is also the start of a new series on the teachings of Jesus. And when Jason Miller, our lead pastor, asked me if I would be willing to jump into this series, I was kind of all over the place because there are so many great teachings of Jesus throughout the New Testament. 
So then I looked at the church calendar because I thought, well, that might be a really great place to start because there are lectionary readings that go along with the church calendar and found that the two readings that come after Easter morning are Luke 24, the story of the road to Emmaus. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And then the story in John 20 of the of Doubting Thomas. And so um, as I was reading through these passages, I noticed something in Luke 24 that I've never noticed before. And I want us to talk about that today. Um, but before I do, I also just want to acknowledge that we're now well into our second month of COVID-19, right? This um, is this place that feels weird and strange. And I know that we've already had some really thoughtful conversations on a pandemic perspective, um, but for me personally, I would say that social distancing and sheltering in place in March felt much different than they have in April. And it was kind of like in March, I could wrap my mind around this idea that this is what was needed to keep each other safe and healthy, um, to social distance, to shelter in place. This is how we were actually loving one another well. And then April hit and it became a little bit of a heavier reality for me, right? Um, we know that COVID peak times have been, the projections have been pushed back. That sheltering in place is going to happen a lot longer than any of us anticipated. We also know that schools are canceled. Man, the day that we got the call for South Bend City Schools for them to be canceled, I actually cried and not because that means I'm home with my two teenagers more than I anticipated. It just was like this sense of sadness and grief that life is not the way we thought it would be right now, right? There are so many seniors who are looking forward to the last semester of their senior year or sports seasons or teachers who are looking forward to this, college students who are looking forward to this spring. And it just looks really different than any of us han have anticipated. And I don't know about you, but April for us as a family is our month where um, we kick off all of our family celebrations. It's like birthdays and anniversaries and it's often spring break which requires or includes doesn't require includes day trips somewhere we're just outside adventuring a little bit more than we normally would be in our normal work and school rhythm and so we hit april and all of those things happened with COVID updates and school canceling and we had to cancel a weekend trip that we had planned to go to california to visit some dear friends of ours and this new reality settled in of sadness um, and also what felt like grief. And as I began to check in with a lot of you, a lot of friends around town, and just ask that normal friend question, hey, how are you doing? I noticed that uh, your answers had a lot of sadness and grief too. And I think that if we're all being honest, our sadness has shifted into this deep, deeper reality for all of us right now it's actually a little bit of grief or maybe a lot of grief for some of us grief is widely defined today as the death or loss of something not just someone right I used to think oh you're only grieving if you're if you're actually grieving the loss of someone but the widely accepted definition of grief is that it's the loss of something or someone and so I think with that kind of definition, I would say that we're all experiencing a newfound level of grief right now due to this pandemic, right? I think if we could sit together and share the list of things that we're grieving individually or collectively, it might sound something like this. We're grieving the loss of connection with each other. We just miss sharing a meal around a table together. We miss worshiping together. We miss traveling together. We miss working together. We miss hanging out at some of our favorite local spots together. We miss going to shows or concerts or sporting events together. 
We miss being in school and in class together. We miss visiting one another. We just miss being together, being close to one another, actually brushing up against each other. And we miss all of the things that we were looking forward to celebrating this spring, like milestones and sports seasons and graduation ceremonies and end of school year, the start of a new job. Whatever it is for you, we're missing out on the ways that we were going to live life and celebrate this spring. And from my perspective, this sounds like collective grief. This is the loss of something of a lot of things for all of us, right? And maybe you haven't thought about all of this as grief in your own life. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, well, I haven't really lost anyone during this time. Or maybe for you, all you can think about is grief. Because this pandemic has been stirring up old grief and new grief for you. Right? Maybe this pandemic reminds you that you're all alone again. Or maybe it reminds you of your chronic health problems that keep you from running to the store or or, uh, dropping off a meal with a neighbor or taking a walk with a friend even at a safe social distance. Or maybe for you, there are unresolved family tensions, and this can arise from either being near to everyone at all times or from being disconnected or or more distant from, from one another. Maybe you're fighting to keep your small business or your company alive or your employees safe, or maybe you've been cut off from access to funds because of a job loss or a furlough and you're struggling to make ends meet. And maybe these are all too familiar feelings for you. And it feels like grief flared upon grief flared upon grief. Which is why I think that there's actually been a lot of conversation about grief um, on the airwaves lately in podcasts and online articles and social media posts and news updates. And here's what we seem to know about grief in our world today. That there are different ways that we move in and out of grief. And one of those ways of moving in and out of grief is known as the five stages of grief. And this comes from the late 60s, early 70s from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who coined the five stages of grief. Okay, And this is her, according to Dr. Kubler-Ross, the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And she would say this is not a linear or prescriptive process, but it's more like a scaffolding that gives us some sense of structure to our grieving experiences. She would also say that this is how we generally move in and out of these stages as we experience grief. David Kessler, who was her protege and continued her work on grief, actually recently came out with a sixth stage of grief called Finding Meaning. In fact, he has a new book coming out and he's been on several recent podcasts sharing his own personal story of finding meaning in the midst of his own grief. And here's what David Kessler has to say about discover this whole idea of finding meaning, discovering meaning in the midst of grief. And I think it's really helpful for us to hear these things. The meaning we're finding, he says, is not in the actual loss. It's, in, it's not in the death of someone near and dear to us or the loss of life as we know it. That the meaning is found in marking what we lost with meaning. That finding meaning is how we mark that life matters, that death and loss matter that we need to feel it to heal it. We need to feel our emotions in order for them to heal. We need to feel the grief in order to move through it. The finding meaning in our loss doesn't allow us to bypass the pain of our loss, but it allows us to move through the grief and loss with our pain. He says the worst loss is your loss. And I'm going to say that again because I think we all need to hear this. The worst loss is your loss. That there is no comparing in grief and loss. And I think this is something we need to hear and need to talk about. 
And here's why I think this matters for us as a church community in the middle of COVID-19. We may not be able to find meaning in this actual pandemic itself, but we can still mark this time with meaning and we can still participate in meaningful moments. And our grief doesn't need to take us out. We can actually use it to serve a purpose as we mark this time with meaning, right? Which brings me to Jesus. And what I hope we can learn from the teachings of Jesus is this over these next few weeks is how do we find light and meaning in the midst of life right now, in the midst of what feels like grief and loss for so many of us right now. You know, prior to Jesus, the ancient Israelites already had a long narrative of suffering and the traditions and practices of the Jews of Jesus's day often pointed to that suffering. Jesus would participate in those cultural and traditional practices with his followers, and he would remind them of the meaning as they move through their everyday lives, while he also marked and layered those practices with new meaning. The Passover meal is a great example of that. And what I mean by that is that some of these practices and ways of finding meaning pointed not only to Israel's history of suffering, but to Jesus's suffering too. Marking moments with meaning was not started by Jesus, right? This was already part of their tradition, their faith practice. But we see him participating in meaningful practices that point to history, practices that illuminate his life as Messiah, and practices that we still use in our faith tradition today, really meaningful practices. So here we are, the Sunday after Easter, in the middle of COVID-19, And I want us to read Luke 24 together as we considered this idea of finding meaning in the midst of our grief. So let's start at verse 13, the road to Emmaus, and I'm actually going to read this passage with you and for you. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. I love that. He continued on as if he was going further, like he was taking a few fake steps there, right? Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. When he broke the bread, this goes back to verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And then this passage goes on to talk about how Jesus appeared to his disciples in that moment. And I think there are so many great things we could talk about in this passage, like how the two friends of Jesus didn't recognize him their entire walk to Emmaus, or however long Jesus was on the walk with them. Or Jesus' explanation of all that Moses and the prophets had to say and about the scriptures. There's so many wonderful things, right? Like even why did he disappear after breaking bread with them? But here's what stands out to me in my very simple, non-academic, non-seminarian experience of this text. That it was when Jesus broke bread with him that they recognized him. Now, breaking bread was a common Jewish practice of the day to bless the meal and break bread together. But there was something about that interaction with Jesus that opened their eyes so that they could see him as the resurrected Christ the moment he broke bread with them. And I wonder, what is it that helps us recognize Jesus or helps them recognize him in that moment? Did they remember Jesus breaking bread before? Did they know the details of the Passover meal Jesus had with his disciples when breaking of the bread actually became the Eucharist? Were they there on the occasions when Jesus broke bread and fed the multitudes? Uh, I know a friend of mine, she asks, did they see the scars on his hands as he lifted the bread to break it? Like, we don't know, right? There are so many things we could dive into. There was something meaningful in the breaking of the bread in that moment. And according to a few scholars, it's a similar meaningful moment as when Jesus broke bread with his disciples during the Last Supper. So this is how my brain works, right? I like hear this conversation on finding meaning with David Kessler in these five stages, now six stages of grief. I read Luke 24 because it's part of the church calendar, the lectionary readings in the church calendar. And this makes me bounce back to the Passover meal in Luke 22, this last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. And I think the Passover meal was already laced with tradition and meaning that any Jew of the day would have recognized and understood. And yet there was something about the way Jesus broke bread that turned this tradition into the Eucharist. You know, the breaking of the bread is the body of Christ and the drinking of the wine is the blood of Jesus. This, had, this act, this Eucharist, this breaking of the bread had old meaning and now it actually had new meaning for the followers of Jesus. But the Eucharist wasn't the only meaningful practice Jesus had with his disciples during that meal. Let's revisit the Last Supper and what we know about it, right? Jesus broke bread and gave thanks. This is that Eucharist moment. This is the, the first thing that we read about. This represents thanksgiving and the sustenance provided by Jesus. And then in John, we read that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He says, for I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then we hear Jesus giving them a new command during the Passover meal. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. And then he goes on to bless the disciples with peace. Jesus 
also acknowledges their grief or their sorrow will become joy. John 16, 20, he says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. And then we see Jesus praying or we hear Jesus praying. He prays for himself, for his disciples and for the world. This comes from John 16 and 17. And this is actually before he leaves the Passover meal. And then Jesus does, he gets up and he leaves and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. But he goes off by himself to pray because this burden of grief is getting really heavy for him to bear, right? He tells them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. We also hear and see that the disciples are exhausted from their grief, So this is a really heavy moment. This is like the practice at the end of these practices is that Jesus pulls away to pray and be with God and to share his, this burden of grief. I'd like to believe that Jesus gave his disciples these meaningful practices, not just as ways to mark their lives as his followers or mark the Jewish tradition they were all familiar with, but also as a framework for finding meaning as they were about to move through grief and sadness. And so When I read Luke 24 and then I jumped to Luke 22, I think, wow, this is amazing that we're in this day and age where we're finding this new stage of grief, finding meaning is this new stage of grief. And yet Jesus was making meaning all along, right? Many of us have continued the very same practices that we see with Jesus and the disciples. We've continued these in our churches, in our faith communities, and in our homes as ways to mark our lives in Christ. But maybe we can also now see these practices as a way to mark this sadness and this grief and this loss that we're all experiencing right now. As a way, this is our way of finding meaning collectively and individually in the midst of COVID-19. I don't know about you, but I've had a really hard time settling into this new reality, right? There have been moments over the last few days where I just feel really unsettled. I like wake up with that knot in my stomach and kind of... um, wander about a little aimlessly or haphazardly before I settle into a little bit of a rhythm and routine. And it's that like anxious, unsettled feeling that doesn't sit well with me. And then I know that there have also been moments where I just wake up and I kick straight into survival mode and I'm just suppressing whatever it is I'm feeling, right? I just like kick into get it done mode, which I can do so well. And I just um, move through my day without actually pausing to recognize like, what am I feeling right now? So thinking about these practices of Jesus and how they mark our lives with meaning, this has actually been really settling for me um, to, to think about this Last Supper and all these beautiful practices. It's kind of like the um, soccer metaphor I heard Brene Brown, a popular social scientist, use a couple weeks ago when she said that we need to find ways to settle the ball in our lives right now. And what she meant by that is if you've ever been to a youth soccer game, you know exactly what I mean. There are these moments where the ball is just kicked wildly all over the field, right? People are kicking it or heading it or throwing it in in random places. And um, this kind of wild gameplay happens until somebody actually settles the ball at their feet. They trap the ball. Maybe they have enough time to pause and look up. But they're thinking a little bit more strategically about who's open and where they need to pass the ball. And this is what keeps the game moving for them. 
This is how they settle the ball. If sports aren't your jam, but music is, this can also happen in the middle of a middle school band concert when the percussion section runs away from the brass or the woodwinds or like, you know, the situation, right? And the conductor has to like pause in the middle of the piece and they actually pick a new place for everyone to start together and they begin again. And this is... Um, the conductor settling the ball for those musicians. Or I think about rock climbing. I don't know why I, I have this fascination with rock climbing. Our gym here on the west side of town has this beautiful rock wall. And I think about a rock climber who gets stuck on a wall and they have to pause and take a deep breath and find a new grip so they can keep moving forward up the wall. And I think settling the ball is how we're finding a new grip or how we're finding a new place to start in our piece of music or how we're um, finding a new rhythm of our day in our day. Settling the ball is how we're calming our hearts and our minds in the middle of this new weird reality that we're all living in. And the reason I mention these metaphors is because I think the practices of Jesus in his final moments with the disciples and his friends are the practices that can actually help us settle our lives and help us mark this time with meaning as we move forward with a season of sadness and grief. And, and I know that there's also joy in this season too. So this isn't just a season of sadness and grief, but I would say that sadness and grief are definitely defining um, markers of this season. And here's what I think that pattern of finding meaning with the practices of Jesus might look like in our modern day. So stay with me here, okay? I think that we can practice gratitude and we can acknowledge God's presence in our lives. And this is our modern day daily in-home expression of the Eucharist. I think that we can participate in acts of kindness towards ourselves and each other and our neighbors. And this is our modern day in-home version of the washing of the feet. Right? I think we can love one another really well. And sometimes that also looks like choosing to love ourselves really well and love our community really well. And this is love as the new command. And I think we can be a blessing of peace. We skipped over the verse where Jesus says, peace I give to you, but that comes right after love is the new command. And I think with that we can love well and we can be a blessing of peace during this time. I think another practice is that we can give space for the full range of emotions in our souls and with those close to us and with those who maybe we can't physically be close to or touch, but we can still give space on a phone call or a Zoom call or an email exchange or a text exchange for the full range of emotions that we can acknowledge sorrow and grief and we can recognize when it turns into joy. And I think the last practice is this praying practice that we can actually pray for ourselves, for one another, for our church community, for our city, for the world. Wherever we find ourselves, we can pray for those around us. And this is prayer as a spiritual practice, just like Jesus prayed during and after his last meal with the disciples. So speaking of prayer, this might uh, feel a little awkward because we're not in person together, but we're going to do something together. We're going to take a few minutes to pause right now together and put prayer into practice with what's called a centering or contemplative prayer. This is often our, um, or not often, this is our way of settling the ball together right now in this space as we're listening to this sermon. So I want you to find a comfortable position right where you are. For me, sitting at um, this podcasting station, this looks like I am sitting down with my feet grounded on the floor and I am relaxing my shoulders and I'm opening up my hands and I'm laying them down on my lap. 
and I'm closing my eyes. And I think it looks like us all taking a deep breath in and out to exhale that breath. So take a deep breath in and exhale. And I want you to consider the grief and the loss you've experienced over the last few weeks. What are those losses? How has life changed for you? Or how have you been suppressing or stuffing that grief? Consider the grief and the losses for a moment. Now consider the emotions that surface for you as you think about those losses. Is it sadness or fear or anger? Do you go numb? Do you feel a little bit of joy in this moment because of some things that have opened up for you during this time? It's okay to feel joy. We're talking about sadness and grief, but our sadness and grief turns into joy. So consider the emotions that surface for you right now. And notice where those emotions show up in your body. Is it a lump in your throat or a tightness in your chest? Is it tears in your eyes or the knot in your belly or clenched hands or sweaty feet or tense shoulders? Is it a headache? Do you actually feel a surge of joyful energy? Right, we have to feel it to heal it. So notice where those emotions are showing up for you. Now let's lean into the awareness of God's presence with us in this moment, that God is with us, each and every one of us, wherever we are right now. And I want you to imagine God carrying your grief and your loss with you and for you. And I want you to be willing to let go of whatever you need to give God right now. And now let's rest in God for a few moments. This looks like you being still, or it can look like you offering a breath prayer by simply exhaling and saying a single word as your prayer to God. Maybe peace is your word. Maybe sadness is your word. Maybe comfort is your word. And then let's just be still. Amen. Thank you for going through that exercise with me. And I would encourage you that if this exercise was meaningful for you, or if you felt rushed in any way, go back and revisit it. Right? Sit with how you're feeling, sit with the emotions of what you're feeling, sit with where it shows up in your body, sit with God's presence with you, think about what you can give over to God, hand over to God, so that God carries it with you and for you, and just lean into God in whatever way that looks like for you right now. So this week, we're actually going to continue with our open floor questions, and here's what we want to hear from you. This is on our open floor podcast that uh, will happen on Thursday. We want to hear, how are you making meaning in the midst of your grief? What practices old or new do you find comforting and healing in this season? How has Jesus made himself real to you in the midst of your grief right now? Let me read those questions again. How are you making meaning in the midst of your grief? What practices old or new do you find comforting and healing in this season? Maybe for you, this is kind of how you're settling the ball right now. 
And then our last question is, how has Jesus made himself real to you in the midst of your grief right now? Well, it has been such a joy to be with you all this weekend, South Bend City Church. And here's my prayer for us as we move forward from here. May we lean into the grief and the joy of this season as we mark our lives with meaningful practices that Jesus illuminated for us during the Easter story, right? The practices that we talked about today. May we place our faith and trust in God. May we be on the lookout for ways to practice gratitude and give thanks. May we look for safe, healthy ways to practice kindness and love and peace. May we be mindful to pray for each other during this time. And may we mark our grief and sadness and loss with moments of meaning, knowing that these moments matter just as much as moments filled with joy. And may Jesus be more real to you today than he was yesterday. Grace and peace to you.